The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from a pool of water in Gale Crater on Mars, it's Doctor Who Podshock. Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 276, with your hosts from New York City, Louis Trapani. Hello. And across the pond, Dave A.C. Cooper. Hi, everyone. And originally from the Antipodes and now in Florida, Ian Bissett. Hello. And I am Taras Natitian. Hey, Taras. Hey, good evening, all. Good to have you hey. back. It's great to be back. And if you hear me twice, it's just uh, double your pleasure, double your fun. It's uh, it, it, There's a little echo that may seep into the podcast, so um, I do apologize for that if you're hearing it. That's not an echo. That's just you from the future. That's Yes, it's a time Trying ripple. Trying to correct all the mistakes. It's a time ripple. Are you, have, are you telling us you have, you're having seepage? <laughs> Call it what you like. Time seepage. <laughs> All right. We're, we're pressed for time, so I guess we should uh, move forward then. Yes. So, uh, well, we want to give a shout out to Curiosity Out on Mars. It's uh, part of the where we, you know the theme of where we were coming from. So uh, congratulations to, uh, to those that made it possible. Hooray! And you'll have to shout very loudly. It's a long way away. Yeah, it's a 15-minute delay for them, for right. curiosity it's, it's, to hear it, us. But, but just think about it. It's it's quicker than the delay for, for the Olympics. Yeah, I know. <laughs> As opposed to NBC's <laughs> six-hour oh, delay. <laughs> six hours from London to the States. Yeah, would you believe it? New Zealand are beating Australia. Would you believe it? I'd believe it. It's not, it's not surprising. <laughs> all right, well, we're not going to get into all that here. No, we're not. All right, well, we do have a bevy of news to cover, so I guess we'll dive into the news section of... Uh, oh, you know, I, f- <laughs> I just remembered. I forgot to add the typewriter sound. All right, well, I'll add that in post. <laughs> you know, I... Uh, well, I'm not going to get into it on the podcast, but my setup has changed a little bit for this episode because of some changes in software incompatibilities and stuff like that that hopefully will be ironed out sooner rather than later but um so and anyway so we're a little incapacitated today but we're going forward i thought we were unprofessional because of my appearance no 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 you blame the new guy (laughs) you you bring us to another level i'm the new new guy Uh, 
Is there an echo? <laughs> News! Type, 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 type. <laughs> See, that's my typing monkey person. Yeah, it's lousy. Oh, my. All right. <laughs> okay, so I guess the first item we have up is some casting news for the Christmas special. Yes, Richard E. Grant, if you haven't heard yet, has been cast along with Tom Ward in uh, the 2012, this year's Christmas special, which is going to be coming out. Da -da 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 -da. You guessed it, Christmas. So, um, so finally, the original Ninth Doctor gets to appear in Doctor Who on television. Yes, this is going to be, uh, though, uh, it won't be his first live action um, performance connected to Doctor Who, but it will be um, the first canonized, I guess, appearance on Doctor Who. And if there are some listeners not quite sure, I mean, I'm sure they know who Richard E. Grant is, but if they're not aware of Tom Ward, uh, UK actors, uh, being known most recently for being about eight or ten series of Silent Witness. And he also appeared with uh, former Dr. Paul McGann in With Nail and I. Yes, classic comedy, um, cult favorite movie, yes. Which I'm... And a lot of people will remember him from The Curse of a Fatal Death. Didn't somebody kind of famous, like, write that? Stephen Moffat. Quite possibly. No, kind of enough. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a comic relief he sketch. He was quite handsome tenth doctor. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you had, um, what's-his-face was doing the, was playing the doctor originally, um, Atkins, um, Rowan Atkins. Atkins yes. Who was featured, of course, in the Olympics uh, opening ceremony. Yes. Was he? And that's not all. I heard there was some TARDIS sounds in the opening ceremonies. Yep. You had the, the very short, brief section of the, the TARDIS uh, uh, landing sounds. They were going to have a longer section. They were going to have a big Monty Python section as well. And they were going to go and show all 11 faces of uh, the different incarnations of the one Doctor. So but, we've um, jumped a track from uh, the... Uh, Casting in well, Christmas. I, I, unintentionally, yeah. We, 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 <laughs> welcome to Doctor Who Podshock. <laughs> I was just well, going to say. We all have well, uh, Tom Ward, who's going to be in the Christmas special as well. Yeah, uh, Dave was just saying that he was uh, well known for uh, what's that series that he's in? It's called Silent Witness. So he's he's. Uh, I've never seen him, so I'm not really familiar with him, but. Um, he did a, some sort of H.G. Wells special, which I don't know if oh, I've seen Oh, that was fabulous, that. Uh, the, the young H.G. Wells and the, the mysterious adventures or something of H.G. Wells. If you ever catch that, it is brilliant. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've seen it or not, but I might have. It's, it was about, I don't know, about 10 or so years ago, 12 years ago, something like that. I don't know. Well, uh, we, had, we had covered Stream of the Shocker, which uh, Richard E. Grant played the Ninth Doctor. We did it in Doctor Who Pachak 267. So if you want to go back and listen to our review, we talk about his portrayal of the Doctor. And I think Graham Sheridan was on the show with us, and he's a big fan of Scream of the Shocker and, um, and what uh, Richard E. Grant brought to the role. And I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he did. And there's a lot of parallels 
in that story too, um, which was written by Paul Carnell. Um, there's a lot of parallels to that, to uh, to what was going to come in 2005 with the return of Doctor Who to television with uh, Rose. So, uh, interesting bit. I mean, obviously, once uh, the, the TV series returned in 2005 and Christopher Eccleston was starring as the Doctor, he was the ninth Doctor. So he he's you know superseded. Richard E. Grant as the Ninth Doctor, but for a short while there, he was the official BBC-sanctioned Ninth Doctor. So it's, um, you know, the first time we have sort of a returning, an official actor that played a doctor, doctor returning to the series in another role. Yeah, uh, it was called, um, the, the one that Tom Ward was in was called The Infinite Worlds of H.G. Wells. Yes, okay. Cool. And I guess the Christmas special is probably filming this week, or at least starting filming this week. So that should be uh, good yeah. news for everybody who's anticipating the new series and the Christmas special. Which we also know is um, this is uh, the story that introduces Jenna Louise Coleman's character, uh, you know, as the new companion. I had heard something that there was a rumor about the, the, a speculation, I guess, about her name, but there hasn't been anything official, has there? About the character, her character's name. Uh, there is uh, something in the uh, in the article about the uh, special beginning production that mentions the the first name of the character. Okay, so it, that what that came from an official release because I haven't really. Uh, I'm not it. sure. Okay, all right. That's why I'm not reading the name out. Okay, good enough. That's why I haven't I, been following the uh, the uh, official releases too closely. So should we move on to our next topic? Do we have a next topic? Ooh. Yes, we do. Uh, Christopher Eccleston. Speaking of Who past might, doctors. might be? <laughs> and what might be he doing? Well, he is uh, in talks to uh, to take on the role in the Thor sequel. This is Thor, the Dark World. This is uh, I didn't see the, the the Thor came out last year, 2011. I haven't seen it. So um, but he's going to be playing it's on Netflix. He's going to be playing a villain. Um, um, what is it? Mal Malkith, Malkith the Accused. Accursed. 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 Oh. <laughs> All right. I guess if you're accursed, you might be accused of something. You might be. <laughs> I I don't follow Thor. I I've never read the comic book. I, not that I have anything against it. I just I haven't. I just haven't been exposed to it. So um, I'm I'm not really familiar with all the the ins and outs of Thor. So he's going to be playing a, a villain in that. And I guess that's will be on deck for the next. You know, will probably come out in, in if. If this was 2011, I, I'm assuming the sequel would be probably in a couple of years. Funny thing to me, though, is the fact that Christopher Eccleston only did the one season with Doctor Who and you always felt he was going on, you know, he's a serious actor. But when you think about it, uh, you know, he's been in Thor, he's been in G.I. Joe, been in Heroes. He's actually been quite a lot of science fiction. Not that I'm saying that science fiction is a second-rate acting, but one had the feeling that... He was going to distance himself from from that, having portrayed the dot. Yeah. Well, he was in all, the League of Gentlemen as well. Well, I, I guess he just doesn't want to stay in one thing too long, though, and, and be typecast. I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for him. But I, don't, I don't know. But, you know, maybe that's the uh, thing. Well, 
Back in 2011, he uh, he did say he did tell Graham Norton, um, "I'd never bathe in the same river twice," which is <laughs> good for his neighbors. I mean, you know, they saw that once, and now they know they don't have to see that again. <laughs> well, that that goes to the point that uh, that Matt Smith apparently made recently, saying that that he would be open to return. That that Christ- Matt Smith stated that Christopher Eccleston would be open, meaning willing to return to Doctor Who, not to rule it out. I mean, he, he didn't say that he was going to, but he, you know, again, this is just a whole speculation. Should we read the quote that uh, you have Matt it? Smith, uh, yeah, if you have says, it, read it. Uh, Chris will be all right. Well, I mean, who knows? I'd love it. I'd love him to come back. I love his doctor. I really do. He was from Manchester. Proper hard. Leather jacket. He'd give my doctor a bit of a whooping, wouldn't he? (laughs) Yes, one day I shall come back. (laughs) And I will whoop my successors. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, my. Also, I followed it up with... um, uh, I think as an event, it, if uh, did ever happen, I don't know how feasible it is to get David Tennant and Chris Eccleston back, uh, but it would be amazing. Yeah, well, I, I don't, I don't suspect Christopher Eccleston wants anything to do with Doctor. Well, that goes to what he said about bathing the same river twice. Though now David Tennant, I would see him being a fan of Doctor Who before coming on to play the role and all that, and he he seems mm-hmm. very open, you know, to that idea. I mean, I don't know about today, oh, but at least when he left, he was. And just a little bit of information. Thor The Dark World is scheduled to uh, hit theaters November 8th of 2013. Okay, so uh, next year. Yeah, so this is like going. <laughs> yeah, it's a busy busy time for, for, for Marvel. Well, I guess they have to strike it while the iron's hot or something like that. Or while the large hammer is hot. Well, that's yeah. I was getting, I was alluding <laughs> so we, to that. We've, been in, we've yeah. been in the comic book racks. Let's move over to the magazine racks. What do you see there, Lewis? Well, I saw. I thought I saw a Doctor Who magazine, but it was actually Entertainment Weekly, and Doctor Who made the cover of Entertainment Weekly in the U.S. So, it's uh, further evidence of Doctor Who going mainstream in the U.S. This is a. Uh, you know, a mainstream U.S. entertainment magazine, which, um, you know, normally doesn't cover, um, well, hasn't yet, you know, covered Doctor Who up until now, you know, at least on the cover. So I think that was... uh, Now, now, is that the mainstreaming or is it just the cult just becoming so much bigger? I don't know. I think it's, I I think it's sort of mainstreaming. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it's money, isn't it? If if it makes the cover, it means that it must have reached that critical mass of, uh, you know, it's, they're not going to do it and and have their sales down by you know fifty thousand copies. So it's all because bow ties are cool. Ah. That's why he's on the cover. Well. A couple episodes ago, I made a point of, uh, and I pointed everyone to the photos that I took of the Long Island Railroad. There were posters from BBC America that were making Doctor Who references, and that's something that uh, I would never, I thought I would, you know, see, you know, in the general public, you know, Doctor Who, you know, you know, posters, you know, unless Doctor Who came out as a movie or something like that. It's just well, we did have uh, we had the bus, the buses on the buses in yeah, New York City. That's true. So yes. that, that's uh... Good point, yeah. 
Well, speaking of BBC America, because they um, it was their posters, they're now having specials that of Doctor Who. They're every is it every Saturday night they they have a new special. I believe that's how it is every Saturday night. They just had the science of Doctor Who, which struck a chord with me because I didn't think there was any science left in Doctor Who. But Dar <laughs> Skeptical said that should be interesting in a in a very short show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my! <laughs> oh my! Yeah. Is there an echo back? Is that an echo back again? <laughs> that echoes back. <laughs> the echoes back. Yeah. So, uh, so I haven't had a chance to see it, but it's on iTunes. It's available. Uh, you can download it there. I, I haven't checked, but I'm assuming it's also yeah, now how many on Amazon. I don't know. That was my next question. I know. Three or four. Oh, that, that they're having the new ones. I lost track. I think I'm, Darth was trying to calculate when New Dot Who might be coming because of. Um, well, I'm assuming you know, the, the specials are leading up to it. Isn't yeah, it? Isn't exactly. it like going to be the end of August? Like, isn't um, like around August 25th or something like that? People are saying. Yeah, I think it was something like that. Well, as always, time will tell. <laughs> As we always say in Doctor Who Pachak, time will tell. So in um, speaking of time, in between the time of our last podcast and this one, there's been a new trailer, a new promo trailer that the BBC and BBC America released simultaneously, which kind of surprised me because usually, you know, there's a gap between them. And uh, so this was the, the latest trailer promo for the upcoming series, uh, the upcoming first half of the series, that is, for, uh, for autumn 2012. And I... We have to assume that you've seen it, or should we sound the cloister bells? <laughs> is it going to be spoilers? I mean, I don't know. I mean, a lot of this stuff in this is uh, stuff that was uh, already known, or that we, you know, for the most part, right? Well, there's some stuff that was known, but uh, it does uh, kind of reinforce the news that came out of Comic Con. Okay, well, as far as the episode titles that they've released, well, we so saw we, get, uh, we a saw bit in, more flesh on the bones of that in the original trailer that came out before this. We did see, you know, an eye stalk of a Dalek. We knew that they were going to be coming back in some shape and form. And Stephen Moffat had said that they would be back and they would be um, you you would see many different types of Daleks. So um, that you know was stuff that was out there already. You know, so but this trailer just reconfirms that because we do see the Daleks and we, we don't see the Skittles Daleks, but we see all different types of previous Daleks. We do see. Um, and, and, and again, I don't think this is a spoiler because, again, you know, it was, you know, Stephen Moffat said that um, Alex Kingston was going to be back in some form or another in, in you know, in the next series. So, uh, you know, we do see a glimpse of her in, in this trailer. Did we also see a baby weeping angel as well? I mean, or like a small statue? Like a cherub. I seem to recall. Mm. Yes. Weeping cherub. Blow, blowing out the... Was it a match or a candle? Don't sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even sneeze. Don't even cough. Oh, sorry. Don't burp. No, <laughs> Don't burp. <laughs> Don't breathe. <laughs> 
So, yeah, well, we knew, again, that the Weeping Angels were going to be back in in a story as well. We reported about them shooting on location in New York City uh, back in April. We knew that it was going to be an angel story. Um, So, you know, again, I don't think the trailer... You know, it just reinforced stuff that we already knew, and, and as as Tara said, stuff that was coming out of New um, San Diego Comic Con, which was uh, last month. So, um, but it's exciting. It's all exciting. It's uh, it, you know, it's been a while since we last had new Doctor Who. Someone had tweeted me saying, you know, if I was missing it. But you know, the great thing about Doctor Who is that you know now that we're pushing fifty years, we have fifty years worth of material to go back to and, and watch and enjoy and. Um, so as much as, um, you know, we may be hungry for new Doctor Who, there's such a wealth of stuff out there. And there's all these audio adventures and other stuff that um, most people probably haven't heard or, or digested. And probably old episodes that people, most people haven't, you know, seen or heard or whatever. So there's just so much. Uh, and of course, the, the DVDs are coming out quick, uh, thick and fast now as well, aren't they? Because they, 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 they've got this schedule that um, by the time the actual anniversary comes round, all the existing episodes will have, have made it onto DVD, I think, so... Unless uh, they find some new ones. Well, uh, hopefully, yes, but <laughs> what I'm trying to say is when I go to my supermarket where, you know, once every five or six weeks you might see that there's one Doctor Who DVD, uh, now usually you know, there's, there's, there's two or three um you know, actually still in the charts, as it were. Mm-hmm. Now, getting back to the trailer, I think mm. what we have more of in this trailer is scenes from the first two episodes as compared to the earlier trailer that they had for the first half of this series, mm. or what now they're calling Series 7A, I guess, in some outlets. Yeah, because well, if, yeah. if you break it up into the like the two halves or whatever... Um, yeah, the, the that, first trailer that, was mostly uh, that, that Western motif, that first trailer that we saw, uh, I guess it was a couple of months ago. Right. And now yeah. this we see a little bit more. Yes. But definitely only stuff prior to the Christmas special. So, yeah. what, five five episodes at the most? Yeah. Well, a lot of it still is I, I in the works. I didn't recognize anything as being specifically from... Uh, the fourth episode, the one by Chris Chibnall, but uh, I wasn't really paying that close attention to separating what things may be from, other than the the obvious scenes. Right, well, like the one where he says dinosaurs on a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really, really hate it as a title for an episode, but I love the way Matt says it: <laughs> dinosaurs on a spaceship. I think well, they took that from snakes because on... of the way he says it. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was a, a nod to it, snakes on the plane. Probably had a different working title, I would assume. Yeah, I always thought it was a, a, a reference to you know snakes on a plane, but who knows? Maybe maybe Dress is right. Maybe they're like, man, that's a great line. No, we'll use that. Well, um, speaking of wealth of Doctor Who material out there, just if we could just skip ahead, we'll come back. But just if we can skip ahead to this part of the news is that the Big Finish has had their license extended. So uh, that means more Big Finish. 2015, if I'm not mistaken. So that's great. That means more audio adventures to come, uh, you know, with uh, past Doctors. Now, they... 
unless a license has changed, their license always stands up. You know, they, they can cover materials up to the eighth doctor, but not beyond. So, um, you know, I don't expect David Tennant to be coming on it, you know, at least not. Well, playing. There, are, there are limits to what they could take from the movie because the movie itself has complicated rights issues. But uh, like, but they can example, do they, obviously they've done a lots of eighth doctor stories. But but yeah. right. But uh, they can't use the companions from that story because uh, the rights are more complicated there okay. where the BBC retained the rights to the character of the doctor. The other rights were shared. So Grace Holloway, that's why we don't see Grace yes. Holloway. Daphne Ashbrook. Daphne hasn't. Ashbrook, yeah. Friend of Podshock. Friend of Podshock. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> so, yeah, good news so there. And 2015 is going to be the 16th year of uh, Doctor Who audio from Big Finish, which will also include their 200th main range play. That's exciting. I think they're up to the 160s now. Mm -hmm. And they, they keep expanding with new ranges. Uh, I believe uh, this month saw the uh, release of Countermeasures, which is based on uh, the, uh, was it Remembrance of the Daleks, the last Dalek story of the classic series? It began with an R. <laughs> Don't they all? <laughs> I'm sure somebody will correct us uh, if we're wrong. That uh, features some of the uh, peripheral characters from that story as a uh, a group investigating stuff. So that that should be quite interesting. I have that in my queue of things to listen on my vacation. Oh, very good. Speaking of mainstreaming of Doctor Who, further mainstreaming even more so, there's a Doctor Who Monopoly 50th edition. The 50th anniversary edition of uh, Doctor Who Monopoly. So I guess there was a Doctor Who Monopoly, but now we're getting a 50th anniversary edition of it. Now, is this um, going to be just in the UK, or are they releasing this in the US as well? Uh the article says that the limited edition set is expected to retail from the 28th of August and can be pre-ordered from online stores such as Forbidden Planet. So it may be now, a UK I release. Monopoly goes all over the place, so it'll probably reach wherever you could find Monopoly. All right, well, our listeners, so you I, go to Toys R Us and report back to us and see if you can find it. Yes. I, I mean, as much as... I like Doctor Who. At the end of the day, it's still Monopoly. <laughs> well, yeah. in, in that case, Ian, maybe you'll like uh, Dave's favorite news item, which is the <laughs> the Who Girls 2013 calendar. That's one way to pass the time while you're waiting. <laughs> I was just going to say the only reason he doesn't like the Monopoly is that uh, he's got a son who's at the age now where he beats him at Monopoly. True. That is true. So the, the Who Girls calendar is going to feature fully endorsed images of Annika Wills, Deborah Watling, Katie Manning, Sarah Sutton, Nicola Bryant, and uh, the late Mary Tam. Now, where is the Who Boys calendar? That's what uh, some of uh, Ge our January's, listeners are probably going to yeah. pine Gen for. January's John Barrowman. Um, February is John Barrowman. Uh, <laughs> March is 
John Barrowman. So you're uh, saying John Barrowman just extends throughout the whole year? <laughs> oh, He's not touching he, that. Let's let's. As he would say, your ratings have just gone up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. As he would ratings say, ratings yes. have extended. <laughs> <laughs> now, are it these photos? The, the calendar. Yeah, I was just say it says fully endorsed images. So. We're assuming that, that although they, I'm hoping that they will have at least two images from each, you know, a contemporary one as they look now, uh, because quite a few of them still look uh, uh, ravishing. You know, I mean, uh, Annika Wills still looks gorgeous. Well, it says uh, all photographs have been fully endorsed and approved by the actresses featured. Yeah. Yeah, so they're not photographs from the series. These are new photographs is well, what I'm getting at. Well, they might be now and then photos, mightn't they? Could be. Yeah, the uh, Phantom Film site, which is the, the company that is publishing this, doesn't seem to mention uh, anything uh, that will uh, give us any uh, indication of the types of these stellar images. But uh, it does have the tagline of 12 months of glamour in time and space. So if that gives anybody a clue. Well, they should have done 13, the 13, uh, 13 lives, never mind. Well, we don't know. That's the extended. They, well, not our calendar doesn't have 13 months. If no? we had a lunar calendar, it may. Yeah, see, the Gallifreyan calendar is 13 months, so that's... The whole <laughs> Speaking of Gallifrey, we have uh, new guests announced for the Gallifrey One convention coming up uh, next February. Some the headlining guest in that batch is Sir Derek Jacobi. Wow. That's a huge coup, I think. And of course, we've got uh, Francis Barber, Bruno Langley, Fraser Hines, and everybody's favorites, Neve McIntosh and Katrin Stewart. Yes. In addition to a bunch of uh, other guests that were announced. Yes. So what do you guys think of that lineup? That's so good to have Patrick Stewart back on on the convention circuit. Oh, Catherine Stewart. Never mind. Catherine Stewart. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> just make it so. You can't take him anywhere, seriously. You just can't. <laughs> now I know why these episodes run over. Yes, exactly. That's why they it's should be run over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant to get. So, so I'm going to jump a little ahead here, and there, there's some sad news that uh, actor Jeffrey Hughes has passed away. Uh, some of you may rem remember him from uh, as uh, Mr. Popplewick in The Ultimate Foe from the Trial of a Time Lord season. Yep. So that's and, sad uh, news. Many people will know him from, um, well, uh, over in the UK. Uh, from Coronation Street, um, he was on there for quite a long time, and uh, so Eddie uh, Yates. Yeah. Yes, he played Eddie Yates, um, and also, of course, uh, in keeping up appearances as uh, Hyacinth's brother. Mm. Well, we're going to um, get to it a little later. We have some uh, some feedback uh, pertaining to it, but obviously, since the last episode, you know, we would be remiss to say that uh, we, you know, we lost Mary Tam, who was the original Romana. And that was a devastating, another devastating shock to the Doctor Who community and one that took us all by surprise. 
And, uh, and once again, I had to, uh, you know, add the news as a postscript to the recorded episode, you know, where I had to do that, um, you know, uh, just prior a couple of episodes before with um, with Caroline John. So uh, let's hope I don't have to do that <laughs> with this episode. It's just, you know, this is just that's just too much. So, um, again, it's a devastating loss for any time we lose anyone, but especially when it's a main character like a, a doctor or a companion. So, um, my was, goodness me, I mean, we'll have to have Podshot coming out with a health warning now. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> may die when you've listened to this. Well, <laughs> we can't take the blame for that. <laughs> well, I really shouldn't have said anything in our recorded show. Yes, once again, I'm breaking in with news of another passing. This one directly relates to Mary Tam. After we recorded the last episode, news broke that Mary Tam's husband, well, her surviving husband at the time, uh, Marcus Ringrose, had passed away shortly after delivering a eulogy for Mary Tam. He had passed away um, due to a heart attack at home, he was, uh, according to uh, Barry Langford, um, I believe, which is the agent, which is uh, Mary Tam's agent, if I'm, if I'm correct with that, uh, mentioned that he was replying to well wishes on his computer when he collapsed. So very sad and tragic that, um, I mean, obviously we, um, we suffered the loss of Mary Tam and now her husband, Marcus Ringrose, has, um, has passed away shortly after delivering the eulogy for Mary Tam, her, her, you know, her deceased wife. So, sad news there. All right, well, let's get back to Doctor Who Pachok, and I really, really hope that I don't have to do this again. But uh, sad news, yes. So is there anything else that we want to cover in the news? Well, just, oh, he's strict, isn't he? He's strict. Yeah. Oh, he keeps it, he, he runs a tight <laughs> ship. He does. Well, we, we, do, we well we do have to move along, but we do want to give a shout out. We mentioned it out. I don't know if it was the last episode or the one of the previous Doctor Who Podshock episodes. I think it might have been the last one. Uh, we had spoke about the Sonic Screwdriver Remote Control that was coming out. That it was all like it was similar to a Nintendo Control we uh, remote where it's it's motion based and whatever. Well, it's they're having a, um, I guess, a demonstration and an unveiling an official. Um, I guess they're calling it uh, a number of Doctor Who fun days that uh, Forbidden Planet is going to have to celebrate the release of this uh, fun toy. Now, this is Forbidden Planet in the UK. Needed to, uh, just, yes. Because there's also Forbidden Planet in New York that I just wanted to make sure that we don't have listeners going to the wrong place. So there, it looks like they're going to have a series of... Uh, events first one starting on the 25th of august that are going to allow you to i guess purchase some uh items before it's available in the shops and they're going to have live demonstrations and even a dress-up competition so david i want to see you dressing up to to go pick up your uh sonic screwdriver remote there's a forbidden planet not too far from where my daughter lives in the northern quarter of Manchester, but people will be really going for the free jelly babies and jammy dodgers. Or to have their photo taken with a life-size TARDIS. 
there you go. Gosh, can they find no one in Northern England who will have a, has built one? So I guess <laughs> I'll just quickly Where's go Uncle through... Where's Uncle when you need him? I'll quickly go through some of the locations that they have. There's the one in London, and then there's going to be Bristol, Birmingham, Cambridge, Coventry, Liverpool, Newcastle, and Southampton. Very good. Yeah. They look beautiful, by the way, from that photograph. They, they definitely look um, apparently. Apparently, the way they work is you make gestures with them instead of right. pressing buttons or something. So that yeah. that should be quite interesting. You gotta poke someone's eye out with it. <laughs> <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> If I might quickly add before we close out the news, um, on a personal note, uh, the long-awaited sequel to um, Doctor Who Baby is finally here. Yes, uh, about a week or two ago, I uh, put up a new video on my on my YouTube. Uh, it goes by the name of Dalek Toddler. Uh, my uh, almost two-year-old son Callum uh, discovered a Dalek on the uh, on his brother's backpack, and is now obsessed with them. So we did a little bit of a video. Um, if you go onto YouTube and and type in Dalek Toddler, you'll see it. Um, so yeah. It's very funny. He just, he just, uh, and I didn't have anything to do with it. I'll have to say, my wife, who wasn't much of a Doctor Who fan before we got married, was the one who sat there and said, started pointing it to us, saying, Dalek, Dalek. <laughs> now, now, whenever he sees them, Dalek. <laughs> so, yes. Anyway, that's all my news. Very right, cool. Well, we'll have to check it out. Our news segment. All right. Well, I think that's going to round out our news. We have a, um, well, we'll have a interview, a classic interview with Mary Tam speaking about Mary Tam coming up in, after we come back from our break. And we also have um, a couple of guests that will be familiar to Doctor Who Pachak listeners. We have um, Anthony Burge and Jessica Burke, who will be talking about their new book, The Mythological Adventures. Or, um, Dimensions. Dimensions. I said this, I had this, I did this fluff once before. <laughs> of uh, Neil Gaiman. That's the only problem about podcasts um, over the internet is we can't hold up cue cards for him. <laughs> as much as they try. Well, we could, but he wouldn't read them anyway. No, true. Sure. <laughs> All right, so we'll be back with more Doctor Who Podshock. So don't go anywhere. Where are you going to go? It's a podcast. Exactly. You got This is Matt Smith, and you're listening to Doctor Who Podshock. Ooh, I'm on the same show as Matt Smith. <laughs> we were speaking earlier about the wealth of material that's available during these times where there's no new Doctor Who episodes coming out. Um, well, soon they'll be here, but... Uh, during this time when uh, you may be looking for something new or different, something you may not have seen or heard. Well, one source of new material for you, even though it might be older material, but it might be new for you, and, and there's lots of original material there as well, is Audible. Now, Audible, as you know, if you're a regular, if you're a regular listener to Dr. Upachak, is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. They have over 100,000 titles to choose from in every genre, be it thrillers, business, romance, comedy, and of course, science fiction. Audible titles 
Play on the iPhone, Kindle, Android, and more than 500 devices for listening anytime, anywhere. And for you, listeners of Dr. Who Podshock, Audible is offering a free audio book download with a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out their service and see what you think of it. And if you decide, well, it's not for you, you still keep your free audiobook. To download your free audiobook, well, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podchock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podchock for your free audiobook. And as always, we like to make a recommendation or referral of what you might choose for your free download, though you could choose whatever you like. It doesn't even have to be a Doctor Who title, though we're going to pick a Doctor Who title for this one. And, you know, with everyone watching the Olympics on television, even though I think the Summer Olympics have um, have ceased to be or come to a close or whatever, I, I don't know what the case. But with everyone still, wa- well, with everyone had been watching the Olympics, and I know this from Twitter because people are tweeting about it, uh, there was, um, you know, and also being that this is a big election year once again in the U.S., and if you were to combine those two things into one story, in Doctor Who, you might come up with a story called Vengeance on Varrows. Now, this is a Colin Baker Six Doctor story. It was a televised story, but it's an audio book as well, with Colin Baker, the Six Doctor himself, narrating it. So it's uh, it's written by Phil Mart- Philip Martin, and it's um, this could be your free audio book. Again, this is um, Vengeance on Varrows, which. Um, Let's play a little clip from it and you'll know what I'm talking about. The random laser emitter spat a searing beam at the young man chained to a wall deep within the punishment dome of the planet Varos. Desperately twisting in the chains, Chondar succeeded in evading the laser beam, but the heat of its passing caused a howl of anguish to be torn from lips parched by the tension of his long ordeal. In the ceiling near the wall, a television camera beamed every detail of his suffering into the home cells of the viewers, for whom the ruling officer class of Varos termed this entertainment and instruction. In the media dome, a young technician, Bax, whose job it was to select the most dramatic pictures to broadcast, had a hunch that John Dar's luck at dodging the laser could not last much longer. The home cell of Etta and her husband, Arak, was the standard size for two Verosians without children. It had a bedroom just large enough to contain a two-tiered bunk and a living room with a plastic table and two metal chairs that faced a viewing screen, which occupied the entire area of one wall. Before this screen sat Etta, closely observing the pictures transmitted from the punishment dome. Etta glanced up as Arak entered, home after a long shift at the mining corpse. The image of Jondar filled the screen and dominated the room. Oh, not him again. Yeah, he's still alive. Just. Anything to eat. Etta, absorbed in the quick cutting of camera angles, jabbed a finger in the general direction of the food locker. Arak sighed, trying to remember a time when his wife would serve food to him. I'll get it myself, then. Arak angrily contemplated a small can without a label. Is this all there is? His wife shrugged. It's the shortages. Maybe the governor will explain. There's to be a vote in tonight. 
I'll keep it to chuck at the screen when your beloved governor comes on begging my vote. Attacking Comtech property can bring loss of viewing rights. The way you're thinking, Arak, you'll soon be in that one's place. Etta nodded towards the image of Jondar on the screen. Suddenly, the war screen became blank. From the speaker, the gloomy national anthem of Varos began. Arak yawned. Oh, I'm tired. I think I'll go to my bunk. You can't do that, Etta said as she reached under her chair to remove two voting transmitter units, one marked yes and the other no. We've got to vote. Now, if you've seen the television episode, this will give you perhaps new insight on it. Again, it's, um, you know, <laughs> not exactly the Olympics they're watching, but it's, um, it is um, televised entertainment that they're watching, and um, they are voting on it. So, again, just um, <laughs> combining the Olympics with the election of 2012. So... Uh, this could be yours or any selection that you like that's available through audible.com, which you can uh, choose from. So once again, to get your free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash podchalk. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podchalk for your free audiobook. And if you didn't get that URL, perhaps you're driving or maybe you're, um, you know, riding a unicycle or, <laughs> you know, I, I tried that. <laughs> just recently uh it wasn't pretty <laughs> anyway um but that's not what i'm talking about so uh, oh so if you didn't get the url go to our website podshock.net and you'll see the offer on the sidebar there um also on the show notes of this episode so once again you can get your free audiobook from audible um audibletrial.com slash podshock And welcome back to Doctor Who Podshock. And unfortunately, we had suffered another huge loss in the Doctor Who community with the recent passing of Mary Tam, who played Romana, the first Romana in Doctor Who in, um, in the uh, Key to Time series in 1978. She played against Tom Baker's Doctor. Well, she played with Tom Baker as the companion in that series and it's a um, it's a great loss that we you know we lost her at a rather uh young age and unexpectedly so um which has been happening more often than not in Doctor Who so and as I had mentioned in our breaking news segment last episode when we reported on her passing is that um I had mentioned that she was one of the first Doctor Who actors or actresses or any someone that was a um attached to the series itself that I had met in the early eighties. And, um, so it, it, I don't know, you know, she's it served as an introduction to the, the cast and crew of Dr. Who at that time for me. So, um, you know, so she always has that special spot. Um, you know, you always remember your first doctor and, and, um, and I guess you always remember your first, um, actor or actress that you met from the series. So, um, yeah, and uh, Mary Tam was that person. And uh, um, so we had this interview from back in the 80s. Now, this this wasn't that time when I met her. This is actually um, this interview comes courtesy of Charles Rabb and Rabb Productions. This originally aired on WPEB radio in Pennsylvania in the mid 80s. And we thank um, um, Chuck Rabb for giving uh, granting permission to share this interview with you and our listeners. Uh, 
we were going to play this, actually. We were going to include this in Dr. Pachak a few months ago, and there were other interviews that came in and uh, time allowances, and we just held off, and um, little did we know what was in store for, for you know, for in, in terms of news about Mary Tam. Um, so now it's obviously appropriate that we play this. We go, you know, we play this interview. We're going to go back into the vault, going back into the, our TARDIS, traveling back to, uh, to again, to the mid-1980s for this interview. This is Mary Tam speaking of her role and, um, you know, why she stayed for a year. And so without any further ado, Mary Tam. My name is Chuck Rabb. My co-host today is Barbara Shushuk president of the Friends of the Doctors in the Philadelphia area. Friend of Doctor Who? That's correct. Friends of the Doctor, Doctor Who. Our guest today is Mary Tam, who played Romano One, one of the companions on Doctor Who. So she had a chance to ask the Doctor all the time, what do we do now, Doctor? Where do we go, Doctor? And run screaming from all types of rubber mask creatures running down parlors, especially Daleks, I would imagine, Mary. No, actually, I didn't get a chance to work with the Daleks, which is my eternal regret. I would have liked to have worked with the Daleks, or, in fact, the Cybermen, who I think are my favourites. But um, the sort of most frightening monsters I had to work with were um, a huge octopus, whose name I forget. Was it Krull? Krull. Krull, that's right, the power of Krull. And um, a sort of giant lizard called the Shrivenzale, which was in my very first appearance. So uh, that's the most exciting type of monster I encountered. Mary Tan, in playing the companion, you had a role of a time lord. A time lady. A time lordess? No, a time, <laughs> a time lady was the exact title, I think, yes. How did you feel about the role? Well, to start with, actually, the role was presented to me in a very um, appealing package. I was told that she was going to be very, very intelligent, more intelligent than the Doctor, in fact. Um, and because she was a time lady, she had the same powers as the Doctor. She had the two hearts and the supernatural or superhuman powers, I should say. And um, unfortunately, the, the part eventually did deteriorate into the kind of girl you were describing at the beginning of the interview. What is it, Doctor? What are we doing now, Doctor? Because really, the format of the show is such that because it's only half an hour, you have to get a lot of information into that time, and you can't have two people who are both doing their own thing because there's nobody to explain what's happening. So really, by dint of the actual presentation of the show, there has to be one person who's always asking the questions. So um, by the end of a year, I decided that um, I'd done enough questioning. <laughs> the part really wasn't going to go much further. So I very reluctantly had to leave. I did, in fact, um, tell them that I was going to leave after a year. And I didn't see any chance of the scripts improving in that area. So um, that was why I left after a year. Before you did Doctor Who, you were mm -hmm. somewhat noted, at least somewhat noted, as an actress. Yes, I'd done a lot of work before Doctor Who. Um, I'd done quite a few movies. Uh, I suppose the one most people will have heard of was The Odessa File with John Voight. The first film I ever did was a movie called Witness Madness, which I think was shown in the States, but very briefly, in which I played Kim Novak's daughter. In fact, originally I was cast as Rita Hayworth's daughter, but she got very ill after the first week of shooting and Kim took over, and that was a wonderful experience. I'd done a lot of television, um, series, plays, a lot of theatre. Uh, yes, I'd done quite a lot of work before Doctor Who. And during Doctor Who, did you find that the character made you um, a one-dimensional actress, or, um, or, or did you continue your um, feeling of being a profound and brilliant actress? Oh, 
Thank you for those kind words. Um, I'm not sure. Well, it's not really for me to say. I think, I think it's really for the viewers to judge that. I think from an acting point of view, I did the most I could with the scripts available because the way they were written really were tending towards the one-dimensional. I won't say entirely so because, in actual fact, I think I, I managed to get things out of the lines which, you know, probably another actress might not have done. But it, it's a very difficult part to actually sustain because of the fact, I just explained to you, having to be the questioner and be the audience's point of view all the time. Um, I think really after a year I'd, I'd felt that that was as, as much as I could do. Matthew Waterhouse has been a guest on the show and mm -hmm. when he was on he said if he could only come up with 38 new ways to ask <laughs> why he'd probably <laughs> still be on the show. My guest co-host is Barbara Shushuk from the uh, Friends of the Doctor of the Delaware Valley, the Doctor right. Who fan club. Barbara, why don't you take the mic and ask some questions. Okay, Chuck. You were cast as a known actress prior mm -hmm. to you being cast. Most of the companions that were cast were not known. Mm -hmm. How did you feel when you actually got the role then as being the first one to be known? Well, um, I felt very excited about it because, as I said, the way that the part had been described to me uh, seemed to be a very interesting and very challenging role. And it was to start with. I mean, the first couple of stories I did feel that it was something that I enjoyed doing very much. It was different. I mean, it's not often that you get to play somebody who's from another planet, you know. I mean, it gives you a kind of limitless freedom. And um, I also felt a little bit apprehensive about joining a show which had been on the air for so long. But on the whole, I was very excited about getting the role. I felt very flattered because there'd been a, a great deal of competition for the part. I think they saw about 300 girls, and they finally screen-tested six. So I felt very flattered and honoured to be chosen. When you do conventions in America, you're, you've been away from this for seven years, mm -hmm. and you have to come back and tax your memory a bit. <laughs> what is it like for you to field questions from fans that actually view over here? Um, well, it's interesting because, as you say, it, it does tax the memory. I have to kind of uh, think back. Luckily, I have got a good memory. Unfortunately, my memory for detail isn't that perfect, so if somebody asks me a very specific question, I'm usually very honest and say, look, I'm sorry, I don't know, or I can't remember. But um, most of the questions I find tend to be the same ones over and over again. So after my first convention, which was quite frightening, um, I felt more able to cope with the, the sort of queries that the fans threw at me. Okay, recently you toured with a play called Good Morning Bill, which mm -hmm. was a P.G. Woodhouse. Mm -hmm. How did you like playing an American doctor? <laughs> well, I loved it, actually, because... Um, the character was meant to be from Boston, so I went to the British Sound archives and I listened to a very long tape of Betty Davis, who is my favourite actress in the world. And the way she spoke was how I imagined that this particular doctor would speak, because it was set in the 30s. And I think the way people spoke then was a little bit more careful and less relaxed than they do now. So I spent a long time listening to Betty Davis, and then I went to see an American girlfriend who was from Boston and taped her for about two hours. And I spent every day driving to rehearsals with the tape in my car. And um, I was very flattered because uh, one night somewhere in, in the south of England, southwest of England, an American couple came up to me and asked me which part of the States I was from. So I thought, this is it. It really has worked. You know, all this hard work with working on the tapes has, you know, borne fruit. But, um, no, I loved playing the part because, again, she was a very strong character, um, very witty. The play itself was very, very funny. So that was um, a good experience. I loved doing theatre.
And then you went on to do the pantomime, Cinderella. Yes. You played Prince Charming. That's right, yes. <laughs> well, that's, that's great, because in England we have a tradition of pantomime where the, the woman is always, the man rather, the, the male lead is always played by a woman. And there's usually a character called the dame who's played by a man. And it's a very, very old theatrical tradition reaching back to the 16th or 17th century. So it's, it's tremendous fun to do. I'd never done pantomime before, and I, again, I was a little apprehensive because it involved a lot of singing and dancing and, least of all, trying to pretend to be a man. That was the least of my problems. But it was, it was very, very nice, very good fun, and it was lovely working with Colin and Nicola Bryant, of course, who played Cinderella, right. and Anthony Ainley. So it was like a, a Doctor Who reunion, in a sense, and there were lots of other very, very nice people in the show, and it was a very happy experience for me. I enjoyed it immensely. Has anyone ever mentioned why the tradition of a woman being cast in a male role and vice versa ever started? Um, well, originally, all, all parts in the theatre when Shakespeare first started writing were all played by men. I mean, it was just um, a male profession, a completely male-dominated profession. All the parts that Shakespeare wrote were originally played by men, which is probably why there aren't that many great female roles in Shakespeare, with, with one or two notable exceptions. But... Um, I think the, the pantomime tradition probably is a throwback or a leftover from those days. I'm not actually completely sure. I should have a ready answer at my fingertips here, but I'm afraid I'm not too sure about that one. Okay. You'll have, have to find you, out. <laughs> I'd like to. I'm very curious yes, about it. Yes, it's fascinating. Have you had any favourite roles that you have done so far? Um, well, to be quite honest, I mean, I can, I can honestly say that I enjoy every single part that I do. Whenever I'm offered a new part or a new role, it's the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me because I always approach all my work with great enthusiasm. I enjoy it immensely. And um, I would say that everything I've ever played, I've, I've liked very much. I can't actually think of one specific role. I suppose because of recent, you know, being recently in my mind, the two parts we have just been talking about, in fact, The American Doctor and Prince Charming, mm -hmm. I enjoyed most because, you know, they're the ones I can remember best. <laughs> Are there any characters that you would like to portray in the future? Um, yes, I'd, I'd like to get back more into the classical side of theatre again and play you know, some of the um, great classical roles in either Shakespeare or Greek tragedy or whatever. But um, in England, they tend to sort of be played by actresses who are well into their 40s, so I've got a bit of time before I can <laughs> reach out for those parts, I think. Let me uh, reintroduce our guest, Mary Tam who, among other things, has played a Doctor Who companion, Romana One, on the Doctor Who BBC television series. My co-host is Barb Shushak from Friends of the Doctor in the Delaware Valley fan club. Mary Tam, as you look toward the future, you certainly have the background to take whatever you'd like in theater, film, even Broadway. What would you mm. like to do? What would I like to do? Yes, what are you looking well, forward to do? Um, one of my great ambitions is to work in the States. But I don't know how this could come about because there's um, a problem with, you know, equity and American equity. I think um, if anybody ever offered me a part in America, I would be absolutely ecstatic. It would be one of my greatest ambitions fulfilled. Otherwise, um, carrying on in England, I think um, I'd probably well, like to do... You're much too young to play J.R.'s mother. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> Couldn't they add a few wrinkles here and there? <laughs> Um, no, I think if at the moment I am considering two or three things in London, one of which is a West End comedy play, and um, 
apart from theatre, which is always my greatest love, I'd, I'd like to get back into a long-running TV series because during my time with Doctor Who, it was actually um, interesting to kind of find out the way one does relax into a part when you're in a studio every week because normally if you do a, a series or a small series or just a play on television, you have your rehearsal period and then you're in the studio, but it's over in three days, usually the studio time. So you always look back and think, oh, I could have done that better or, you know, I could have played this scene differently. But if you're in a long-running series and you're establishing a character, you find that every time you go into the studio, you're a little bit more confident, a little bit more sure of what you're doing and you start to enjoy it more. And um, I think it's a very good exercise in acting to do a long series. So I think that um, that is another of my ambitions, is to get into a very long-running TV series and establish a, an interesting character. Mary Tam, in your background, as my last question, what in your background drove you to become an actress? Well, my mother's an opera singer, or she was. She's a, a white Russian emigre, and she came to England um, after the war. She'd actually moved from Russia. She had to escape from the remnants of the revolution when she was a small baby. She can't remember it very well, but she went to live in Estonia, which is where she was brought up. And then she started singing there, and um, I remember in my childhood she, she ended up giving singing lessons and um, doing the odd little recital here and there for the Russian community. And I think maybe that's what prompted me in a way, but uh, she always wanted me to be a concert pianist. That was her great ambition. So I was um, taught to play the piano from a very early age. And in fact, I, I haven't played the piano for a long time. It's something I'd like to get back to. But I suppose there's that artistic bent, you know, somewhere in the family. It's a kind of creative urge. So that's the only explanation I can think of. Robert Shushak, do you have any last questions? No. Oh, OK, then. We'll have to say a good night to Mary Tan. Good night. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> well, thank you. Exactly. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Now, I had met Mary Tam once, um, well, I don't know if it was once or a few times again after that first time. And um, so uh, I was hope, but I but I hadn't really seen her since um, since the 1980s. So I was hoping that I would have an opportunity to, uh, to catch her again. I know she was in, um, she was uh, at Gallifrey One in, I think, 2006, which I wasn't there that year. So um, I think believe that was the year she was there last and um or i know she was there at least on that year so um yeah i was hoping to see her once you know well not once more but again soon because it's been some time so um it's uh it's very unfortunate and it's even more unfortunate now um as you had heard in the breaking news segment in this episode that uh, her husband has um now passed away as well just hours after delivering the eulogy at her funeral uh, he passed away from a heart attack. Well, once again, I want to thank um, Charles Rabb and Rabb Productions uh, for granting permission to use this interview and share it with you, our listeners, on Dr. Hugh Podshock. And now we go to a new interview that um, that's not recorded that we're doing right now in this episode of Dr. Hugh Podshock. Okay, we're back with Dr. Upachuk. Well, actually, we, we never left Dr. Upachuk, but maybe you're back with Dr. Upachuk. And joining us, the, the two people that are back with Dr. Upachuk is Anthony Burge and Jessica Burke, who are two of the three editors of the new book, The Mythological 
Dimensions of Neil Gaiman. Now, if that title sounds familiar, well, we've we mentioned the book several times already on on the show in the past few episodes. But if you didn't hear that, and the name and the books and the title still sounds familiar, is because a couple years ago. Uh, these three fine people also came out with a book called The Mythical Mythological Dimensions of Doctor Who. So uh, now th- th- there's um, this carry. This is, I guess, you know, more mythological dimensions this time with Neil Gaiman. So welcome. Hello. Hi, hi. This is Anthony and Jesse. Are you there? Hi. And, yes, I'm here. Jessica. Hi. Hey, Jessica. Hello. <laughs> Just push him out of the way and take the microphone, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> and of course we're missing uh, christine larson we mustn't forget uh, that young lady yes uh, yeah she's away at a conference this weekend uh she gives her regards and uh she hopes to talk to you guys soon so if you're neil if you're if if you're at all a fan of neil gaiman and any Doctor Who fan who has seen uh, the last series will... I, I haven't heard anyone complain or give any dislike to um, the episode The Doctor's Wife, which Neil Gaiman penned. So um, you have to be somewhat familiar with Neil Gaiman. Now, that's that's actually my doorway into Neil Gaiman. I, I've known of Neil Gaiman, but I have to be honest, I haven't read his stuff. Not because... I dislike him or anything like that. I just haven't been exposed to him. So um, so I'm coming at this book from a very um, newbie, unfamiliar with the material type of thing. And I'm, maybe there are many other Doctor Who fans such as myself that enjoyed The Doctor's Wife and, and but aren't familiar with the rest of Neil Gaiman's work that might be interested in learning more about his writing. And maybe this book will be a good doorway or a stepping stone uh, to learn more about Neil Gaiman and, and, and what you can find what you can um, unearth and from his um, from his writings right yeah <laughs> okay Absolutely. Um, that, that's our hope um, that it's it's for people who are familiar with his work or exactly what you said it's a doorway for people to get a little more acquainted or want to read more of his work. Now he's hugely popular. I don't mean to paint a picture that he's some sort of obscure writer that no one heard, so no one heard of. He's he's enormously popular, especially among science fiction fans, but uh, I think also among among the general public. Uh, he, he's um, um, very he's active on Twitter. There was a just tonight, coincidental, just tonight. I don't know if you watched Jeopardy tonight, but one of the Jeopardy questions was. Um, was a Neil Gaiman uh, question. They uh, they they did a quote um, from you know they, they they a line I guess I don't know from what book or whatever. But the the contestants had to guess what the next word was in that. Oh, cool! Um, He's everywhere from the ether to your television. I, I remember uh, a few years ago that I had heard. Um, I honestly I can't remember what. American author said it. Uh, for some reason, I think it's Stephen King, but I'm not really sure. Um, and referred to Neil Gaiman as the most um, well-known unknown author. That he is, you know, very very popular, uh, especially with you know with his fan base and, and uh, obviously. Um, but a lot of people know something that he did, even though they may not necessarily be familiar with his his books. Because he's he's done everything from songs to poems to comics to movies to screenplays to journalism to to he he started as a journalist he's done a lot in a lot of different genres a lot of different media 
One of his early works was a guide to uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide series. Yes. Which is awesome, um, which I use as part of my, for my, the chapter I wrote as something, I guess you call satirical, critical satire, if you so to speak, which I absolutely, that's how I got my introduction to Neil Gaiman, is I read that first. Mm-hmm. And he also did a book on Duran Duran, if I recall correctly. That was his first book. Um, and he actually started as a journalist, and I believe he he, he did write on music. Um, well, he wrote for a whole bunch of different magazines. Well, yeah, he he, he wrote for magazines. That was his first book. Um, I that, mean, that was recently, excuse me. Was the Duran Duran book yeah. based on the the musical group or the character from the Barbarella movie that the that the, the group got its name from? <laughs> okay, we'll leave that as a homework assignment for you, Lewis. All right. Okay. Yeah. You have been you've been told by the teachers. <laughs> Anthony and Jessica. Yeah. yeah. Uh, leave that machine Owen, alone, Lewis. When you were <laughs> formulating your ideas, what what made you choose Neil Gaiman as the topic of this book? Um, I think it was something that because I was I, I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan. I haven't been a a, a big fan for a long time. I've heard of him for a long time, but I only just uh, read some of his work in 2007, and I kind of, um, I guess you can say, consumed a lot of it in a short period of time. We were talking about ideas for future uh, books in this series, and and there hadn't been a lot written about Neil Gaiman at the time. And we proposed several ideas, like uh, Tim Burton, Neil Gaiman... Uh, uh, Terry Pratchett, and I forget there may have been one other, but the Torchwood. Uh, oh yeah, we were going to do a Torchwood follow-up to the Doctor Who book, and they wanted the, the publisher wanted to go with um, Neil Gaiman first. And and within a very short period of time after we announced our call for papers, we noticed that for several other Neil Gaiman volumes were coming out. So, so it was sort of the sort of, um, start of what I like to call uh, game and studies. So you guys pioneered the study. Uh, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say we pioneered because there were a few there was articles. There was articles and stuff. I wouldn't be so I, I, bold, I guess. Bold, yeah. yeah. Or probably, okay. Well, to say that, but if I, I have to look it up, but there there was another book. I think it was focusing on Gaiman's women that popped up around the same time. It could be coincidental. It could be timing. I don't know. But there was a couple of books announced around the same time as ours. But this was one of the first collections of essays by different authors. I think there might have been another text on Gaiman's work, but it was by one author. And it was... Uh, I remember it being almost a, a psychological study. It was a strange collection. Um, but it wasn't by multiple people on different aspects of his work. Um, so this was one of the first, I, I would say. Okay. Uh, the other thing I would notice and, uh, and tell our listeners is that um, if they were aware of the first book, this is quite a dramatically increased volume of work, isn't it? It's a much thicker book with uh, contributions from uh, uh, many more uh, people. Well, yes. Um, they, um, 
they wanted a larger book. We wanted a larger book. We thought the first one did fairly decently enough to uh, warrant a larger book, and it, it welcomes more voices on the topic. So uh, it, it expanded. Uh, I think the last book, the Doctor Who volume, was 10 essays, and this one's 15. 15, yeah. So minus three from us, that's 12, you know, people outside of the editors that you have. Uh, we had a couple of returning um, authors like Matt Hills and Colin Harvey and Melody Green uh, returning. Matt Hills, as you know, may he has a couple of Doctor Who books out there. He's working on a new one, and uh, I forget the I have it right on the shelf behind me, but I'm not going to grab it. Matt Hills wrote was the only one that we accepted because others were going to write it, but Matt Hills asked us first if he can incorporate Doctor Who into yeah. his chapter. So his chapter deals with Doctor Who and uh, Neil Gaiman's do The Doctor's Wife. Yeah, his is called What Happened to the Time Lord, Mythology and Foundation in Neil Gaiman's Contribution to Unfolding Texts. And um, also having a larger volume because we had so many more submissions. Um, not, not to say that we didn't have a lot of submissions for the Doctor Who volume, but there was a huge uh, increase Possibly because Neil Gaiman himself himself had posted on his blog and on Twitter on his blog um, that about the call for papers, and you could look at his his journal and it's actually I find it funny because the the title of the where he he blurbed it was um, I have mythological dimensions you can't see them but they're there, hmm. and. <laughs> It, and it was something that was really so cool. I I, it, I wanted a T-shirt, but <laughs> one, one, one thing that's interesting about uh, when Neil Gaiman tweets something, there's a phenomenon that occurs usually very soon thereafter called Neil Web Fail, where the website <laughs> that he usually tweets about has a failure because so many people are going yeah. and hitting it. <laughs> yeah, we had within about 24 hours after he did that, we had, you know, uh, m several thousand uh, hits on the site. And it, it was just, it was amazing. So we got an awful lot of response uh, to the call for papers, a lot of interest in it. Well, also among the writers is Matt Smith. Well, I should be clearer. <laughs> it's it's uh, Matthew Dow Smith, who's a... Uh, a uh, comic book writer and artist who you may be familiar with because he's done work for IDW's publishing's Doctor Who comic book series. So uh, another Doctor Who connection there, in a sense. Yeah, very much so. Go ahead, guys. I'm sorry. I was saying, that's a, a lovely foreword to the book as well. You get that, that's the citations on this book are are really great. You um, you know, the people really got behind this publication uh, by. We've got to say it because I've got to pronounce the Kitsune books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had someone it's write supposed. to us uh, saying that we're mispronouncing it all the time. It's actually a Japanese word, and I, I don't know. I Kitsune. forgot. Kitsune. You have to pronounce every vowel, yeah. Uh, I'm assuming that maybe I'm wrong, and I'm just we're laughing with wrong, you, yeah. Dave, not at you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be the only one that answers it all the time. <laughs> true, true. I do. Yeah. It's... It, Occupational hazard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Matthew was uh, very uh, eager and uh, interested when we approached him. I think he had, like, 
a couple of bold words in his email reply to us, yes, 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 <laughs> uh, something to that effect when he was asked to be involved in the Neil Gaiman book. Uh, I guess there's a lot of, uh, as he sort of says in his forward, a lot of, you know, he's a comic book artist and Neil Gaiman, you know, there's big, you know, connections there. One of the things that uh, the book is available uh, in more than just uh, uh, holding your hand book, isn't it? Uh, there isn't an e-book yet for it, and um, uh, is the Doctor Who book will... I'd like to have the speak to the contributors again and see if they want to update their chapters with the current series, or, you know, this year or, how, you know, however we do it, or the 50th, and then invite more writers to do so I'll have an expanded volume. Get it up to 15 again, yeah, like this yeah, one. Yeah, bring it up to 15 and ask the original uh, contributors if they want to change their those those chapters in any way to reflect the newer series. So it brings it up to date, and we have fresh material to include in it. We had the mythological mm -hmm. dimensions of Doctor Who, and now we have the mythological dimensions of Neil Gaiman. Will are we to expect another mythological dimensions of something else coming from from um, from you? We we would really um, like to do one. We've been bouncing around some ideas. Um, we already had a thought of because there was so much new Doctor Who material with, with Matt Smith and and, and, um, and Moffat and everything, and that wasn't really touched in the Doctor Who volume, so it almost goes without saying that there'll be another volume of Doctor Who. Um, and some recent reviews on the Gaiman volume, um, one in, in, uh, in Mythprint, kind of already asked, so when is the next? Um, there's been kind of... We had some loose talk about a tortured one. Um, I don't know how fresh that information, how much out is out there has been already examined about the tortured and the latest, um, that, you know, 10-part series that they had. Mm -hmm. well, um, we also thought about maybe doing a Tim Burton. And also Graham Sheridan, a second doctor, suggested Terry Pratchett. Right. So we're, we're playing with all these ideas. Well, and, uh... um... What about, because I've been following your your things on your little holiday, I thought Edgar Allan Poe was on your radar. Yeah. Edgar Allan Poe is on our radar, but there's, there's so much done about him. Also, H.P. Lovecraft is one of our favorites, and um, there's also been a lot, a lot of scholarship on him as well. And um, I'd like to try to keep, you know, a fresh perspective on things and try to find, you know... Since it's a mythological, dimensional idea, what hasn't been done? I don't want to be overly repetitive if there's a lot of stuff already been done on a particular subject. Well, obviously, I, I the mythological, mythological dimensions of Dave Cooper. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what does he have in his mind exactly? Yes. Yeah. Bring um, it out. I haven't got many years left. I also, I also think that it's sort of... Um, it, I, and, and this is debatable, I'm sure, you know, uh, it, it is an academic book, but it's uh, dealing with a lot of pop culture and, and cross-genre uh, material that a lot of um, classically academic books don't do, um, or it's new. It, it, it's a new kind of 
you know, more recent academic books, I would say, kind of try to do that. But we want to look at things that aren't classically... Um, it's kind of hard because you can't say that, you know, something like Neil Gaiman and Doctor Who is not scholarly because, you know, if it wasn't, then why would we be looking at it? Um, but looking at things that haven't really been touched in this way, looking at, at, at uh, elements in that are near and dear to a lot of fans that really haven't been discussed in, in this fashion. Um, but also, as I, I recently commented to someone, uh, fans are kind of the first scholars in their field, you know, and um, just going to like a, a, a pub meets in the Doctor Who community, going to Comic-Con, things like that. And when you talk to fans who are very passionate about um, their their community, fans it's talk genre. academically. Yeah. It's just... Breaking things down, looking at them, you know, taking it apart. So in some respects, that's... I think book by fans for fans, but anyway, we don't know the topic just yet. But we're bouncing them around, and I certainly, with the fiftieth coming up, I don't want to rush things, but I certainly like to expand and do more Doctor Who. Yeah. But um, bump. <laughs> no, well, we're going to be looking forward oh, we look to very forward to that. Absolutely, and what? now we're talking over each other. Yes, <laughs> well, <laughs> a little bit. And we have a couple. I guess that's better than the echo we had. Yeah, let's hopefully that doesn't come back. We apologize for that. Hopefully we'll have. Well, we definitely will have two Doctor Who Pachak supporting subscribers uh, looking forward to copies of this new book. Which um, now that we we've been holding off for giving them out because um, we wanted to have you on our show and talk about the book and get people psyched up about the book ahead of time. So now that we've had you both and um, we discussed the book, we can uh, randomly select what I use is a website called random.org, which I can generates a random number and we're going to um, see who that is uh, right now. I, I just, I was just there and I got number 54. So I'm going to find out um, if you bear with me, I can see if I can um, find out. They're who not that is. numbers. There <laughs> are premium subscribers. <laughs> I am not a number. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that I, I brought the conversation a dead halt. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, while we're waiting for Lewis to do that other little thing. Uh, Completely off topic, if you, you don't mind me asking, what do you think of the recent announcement about the Hobbit film now oh. being not a two-parter but a three-parter? <laughs> uh, we should just say for listeners who don't know, uh, these guys are slightly into uh, Lord of the Rings, aren't you? Say slightly. My mother read The Hobbit to me in Euro. We we actually met in uh, the Tolkien section of a Barnes and Noble. Oh no. <laughs> Oh no! Oh, I'm yes. sorry. I just found out. I just you don't oh, hold. Oh, hold on. Oh no! Not okay. my mistake. My mistake. I I thought wrong number. Hold on. I I was gonna tell. I I thought we had a weird thing just happened here, but um, it's actually the. Did my name? Yes. <laughs> then I I'm like it's Anthony Burns. <laughs> you lucky guy. But <laughs> I only have a box of them sitting here. Just save on shipping and handling. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. That's insane. Hold on, hold yes, on. Yes, Anthony has won his precious 
Precious. Precious. Um, yes, we are. We, we are, uh, we're talking fans. We, I was working at Barnes and Noble and Jesse came in hooting and hollering with her friend saying how the whole bookstore got ransacked since his damn films came out. I was cursing like <laughs> and, a sailor. Um, she was cursing like a sailor. So I came around the desk, the thing asked if I could help her. And well, here we are uh, a long time later, long time later. <laughs> okay. I um, have a winner. <laughs> a winner. Jesse, no, it's a, it's a, I, should I announce it now? I didn't mean to interrupt your story, though. Do you want to announce it on air? Let's well, go for I'll, it. I'll, 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 just, I'll just announce her first name then in case they want privacy. Um, Elaine, well, I'll put a second initial, K. All right. So uh, Elaine K, um, or is it Eileen? <laughs> I think it's Eileen. Oh. <laughs> Come on, Ali. <laughs> so check your so, spam filter for an email from Lewis. Yes. With, uh, I guess, information on uh, well, how to uh, I'll get, your get your address. address and what? we'll send you. Does, uh, does Lewis keep pestering Elaine on her email, does he? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be emailing you. So uh, congratulations well, and uh, we'll do another one next. two copies. Well, we'll do. Oh, we're gonna spend, we'll spread it out this way. We'll spread the love. So we'll next show we'll do. An, we'll we'll do another. We'll do another one next show. So, um, so yeah, and um, and just so you know, the the uh, the numbers they're not. Yeah, we we should have appended the the rules that the editors are not eligible to. Yeah, to well, win that kind of goes without saying. Yeah, they may support us, but they're not eligible. <laughs> well, of course, um, I was reading. Never mind, but I. It would have been really f weird. <laughs> I saw it. And I'm like, no, that can't be. <laughs> That's hysterical. But just to answer uh, Dave's question real quick about the, the third Hobbit film, we kind of digressed with Gollum speak. Um, okay. That yeah, I heard and read, but uh, we're not trying to stay too on top of the filming news like we did for the Lord of the Rings films because we ended up very disappointed. I'm not. I'm certainly not going to say I'm. I'm looking forward to it. I'll see it when I see it, because there's I, certainly enough material for two more films after the initial Hobbit proper. So, if yeah. they draw on true Tolkien, fine. If they pull it out of their uh, it, it's nether fiction. regions, then it's fan fiction, <laughs> and that's fine. If it was called Peter Jackson's The Hobbit, then I'd be all for it. So. But we can go on. That's a that's a that's a horse of another color. Yes, and uh, <laughs> so, hmm. But Tolkien is introduced in the first chapter of our book, though. Yes. 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 Sorry. <laughs> I was a little confused. Well, I was. Digressing back to the book. Yes, I know you it. were, and then I realized. And Dave, see what you've done. You've thrown a monkey wrench into the program. <laughs> no, no it, it was Ian. It, it was Ian Schmeagel, or what he's called. Schmeagel, Schmeagel, Schmeagel. And it, it's not Anthony's fault that I'm a Tolkien fan because I actually used to call my cat Precious. Uh, as, as, but as, a lot as, of people do, so... No, then like, Gollum's feet. That's the way I used to speak to her when I was, like, 
12. <laughs> so, do you own so when the first movie came out? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yeah, I grew up on, on that one and actually was kind of frightened of it from time to time. With the Ralph Bashki? Yeah, with their noses. Oh, yes, yes. Their noses were really it's like freaky. Some psychedelic LSD trip. It was. But. I'm going to go off completely off topic, well, maybe on topic. What do you guys know about this thing going around that Neil Gaiman's going to write an episode for the coming a series coming up that redefines the Cybermen? I was going to ask you guys about that because I was looking quickly online to see if I could find anything about that and did not see anything. Well, they, the Cybermen so definitely need some redefining. From, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, well I, I already discussed that. I'm, at all, then I am all for it, but uh, I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah. We have, you had told me about it today. Well, you, a couple two days ago, I saw it oh. as like somebody posted on Twitter, and then there was some story somewhere that I didn't think was entirely reliable, so I didn't know if uh, somebody else may have heard something more official. It was brought up in Coldham as well, in the same kind of vein, no real kind of backing to the story. Somebody just heard, you know. <laughs> Could always tweet Neil and see if he answered. Oh, I did already. Trust oh, me. He did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't so, think Neil well, would be able to answer that question. <laughs> no, he probably wouldn't, but I tried anyway. Well, you never know. And Stephen Moffat. Did they get back to me? Hell no. And again, they we're just talking to. speculation here, so it's not really spoilers. So it's just, <laughs> just... Unless it ends up correct, in which case, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's well, pertinent. I think it would be interesting for him to come back uh, to do... You know, I really enjoyed... The storyline that he did, and he has a really interesting perspective, well, and is a huge Doctor Who geek. So, well, we don't. I we, think it would be. Cool. We, we know he, well, he's returning, he right? Some more mythological dimensions to the Cybermen. Then you guys would have to expand that. Well, that's your that next book title as well. The mythological yeah, dimensions of Cybermen. I did my duty. I did my duty. <laughs> <laughs> I did my duty. <laughs> for queen and country <laughs> alright well we have um, if you guys are welcome to stay if you like but we, we do have to um, do some feedback if you want to stay sure Yeah. We sure might. we've had echo we might as well have feedback sound geek there you go re real basil brush that <laughs> boom boom sorry there you go. The mythical, mythological dimensions of, of Basil Brush. I'd buy that book. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back with it's me and Jessica going, <laughs> all of us will return, you know, card willing, <laughs> or your deity willing, if you have one, um, with, um, with Dr. Upatak and, 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 and feedback. <laughs> Breaking news, while we were editing this episode of Doctor Who Podshock, BBC America has announced a U.S. premiere event taking place in New York City once again. They've done this twice before in 2010 and 2011, and they're doing it again. It's taking place on August 25th 
in New York City. The exact venue has yet to be announced. Tickets are 11 cents in honor of the 11th Doctor, though there's a dollar surcharge, so it's a dollar 11. And details on how to order tickets and all that will be coming tomorrow as I record this, but as you listen to this, it may be today or it may have been yesterday. <laughs> Check their site, BBC America or Pachak.net for further details. It will have, in addition to the screening of the first episode of the new series, 2012 series of Doctor Who, which was which is Asylum of the Daleks, is the episode title. In addition to that, immediately following that will be a live Q&A with, once again, uh, series stars Matt Smith and Karen Gillan, and this time joined with executive producer Caroline Skinner. So... Once more, it's in New York City. The past events, it was at the Village East Cinema. So uh, they didn't announce an venue this time. So, uh, well, they haven't announced it as of this recording right now. But uh, hopefully um, they will have further details tomorrow. And by the time you listen to it, <laughs> as I say, well, you know, the timey-wimey thing. All right. Well, um, so check it out if you're um, in this area once again, you'll have a chance to check out the premiere and also, uh, I, I just don't know what kind of, I'm assuming that they're doing the, the tickets this time to try to um, ease crowd controls, you know, because um, it was uh, mobbed the last couple of years and um, I didn't go to the East, uh, I didn't go to the Village East Cinema event because uh, the, the, the first year, 2010, I was at the press conference and we got to see them there. And uh, though we had um, actually, you know, who's on this podcast right now, we had Anthony Burge there covering it for us. Again, that's August 25th, 6 p.m. New York City. It's a Saturday. We also announced is BBC uh, in the UK announced that the series will begin on September 1st, which is, um, you know, the following week. So. We can assume, though it hasn't been officially announced as of yet, that BBC America, if they follow the same day um, broadcast as BBC, you know, if they follow that pattern again, then uh, we should have it on BBC America on September 1st as well. So there you have it. Let's get back to Dr. Upachak and feedback, your feedback. We always want to hear what you have to say. Okay, welcome back. We're here. Um, still with us is Anthony and Jessica, um, the two of the editors. Um, that's Anthony Burge and Jessica Burke. Uh, the two of the three are the editors of the Mythological Dimensions of Neil Gaiman, and, and uh, uh, we're giving out copies of their fine book. So, um, if you're a Pachak supporting subscriber, you are in the running for a copy. Uh, but. We want to hear from you, our listeners of Dr. Pachak, and you can always send us feedback. And this is an audio podcast, so we do prefer audio feedback whenever possible. So uh, you can easily send it to us by calling the Pachak public call box at 206-984-3543. Or you can just uh, send your audio feedback to uh, feedback at pachak.net. Uh, many smartphones today will have a memo, audio memo feature that you can just record something and you could just easily then email that recording to us, make it, uh, you know, clean and easy. We do ask if you keep the, um, 
the audio recordings down to just you know two uh three or three minutes at most because we do tend to go on rather long on our shows so we don't have a lot of time to um and um, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so uh and you can also write to us the old-fashioned way through via email as well again feedback at podshock.net so first up in our feedback is uh, someone that's no stranger to the show, though I think this is his first audio feedback, and this is uh, Blue Box Bill. Greetings and salutations, Podshock. At long last, my first audio feedback. Well, not exactly. You see, this is a synthesized voice, and a rather nice one if I do say so myself. But enough about me. I wanted to weigh in on your discussion about the poll in the Radio Times for the greatest Doctor Who monsters of all time. Rubbish. Complete and utter rubbish. That is to say that the results are rubbish. But not your discussion. Lewis, Dave, and Ian, I concur with your observations about the poll. If we overlook inclusion of the Master and Davros, our list is reduced by two and is now down to eight. Dave correctly pointed out that one of the three new series monsters in the poll exists only in the shadows, a rather tough sell for makers of Doctor Who toys. A monster is usually considered an imaginary creature, it is typically large, ugly, and frightening, so, given their diminutive size in the new series, it's a good thing the Sun Torrents got a double dose of ugly. However, using the same criteria, it would seem that a single Vashta, Neurata, is no monster at all. Although I suppose you could sell the concept as a toy, on a more scientific level, perhaps by including a microscope, a magnifying glass, and dust particles mounted on child-safe microscope slides. See photo, for the Doctor Who, Vashta, Neurata, viewers. I say let's blow the little buggers off the list, like a breeze. Just sneeze and you eradicate them. So, now we're down to seven. In no particular order, the list includes the Daleks, Cybermen, Zygons, Ice Warriors, Sun Torrens, Weeping Angels, and the Silence. Which three legitimate baddies do we add to round out this list of top ten monsters? Some of my personal favorites include the Silurians, Sea Devils, Drashigs, the Destroyer. And, the Ood. I suppose what most impressed me about these five monsters is how well they were fleshed out, bearing in mind what was possible when each first appeared in Doctor Who. So there you have it. Keep up the good work producing the best Doctor Who podcast out there. Until next time. Happy travels, from Blue Box, Bill. And thank you. Well... Hello there, sweetie. Make no mistake. I am not Ruler Lenska. But you are most certainly listening to Doctor Who Podshop. Would you like my autograph, or perhaps to have your picture taken with me? Oh, thank you, Bill. I just had an idea for Colton. <laughs> Entertaining. I just had an idea for Colton, Dave. Don't bother showing up on Sunday. How did Bill the Ice Warriors? Does he always record like that? Well, this is his first audio feedback. 
I'm just amazed uh, that uh, an artificial voice can pronounce the names better than, than, than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised <laughs> that when it comes to me. I was a little Excellent. creeped out. So, so is all our feedback that good? <laughs> well, maybe That's Ian's right. Maybe we feeling. should maybe we should just synthesize ourselves and <laughs> put ourselves out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that mean writing a script? Yeah. Well, <laughs> where's that? Game? You have that game inside phone number? We can, you know, I will tweet them. <laughs> Get that gaming guy to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want my voice to sound like the, uh, you know, the Atmos. That's right. Well, he lives in Porchester, Hampshire, New England, or wherever it is. Oh no, no, no! That was England, not New England. <laughs> Old England. Close mistake. How long have you been drinking? <laughs> how long? Or how much? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> oh dear. I was doing so well. So, I just got complimented Lewis, on being right <laughs> by Blue Box Bill. And Blue Box Bill, Blue Box Bill knows what he's talking about. You can also see his writings on our website, Parchak.net. He's a, um, a contributor to our website. So thank you for everything that you post there as well. I think he just did a review, if I'm not mistaken, of a Sarah Jane Smith um, series. So you can check that out on uh, Parchak.net. Well, moving along with feedback, we have another piece of feedback. This is John M. from Canada, and he's uh, he gives us some feedback about San Diego, San Diego Comic Con, which was last month. And um, I, uh, well, let's hear from John. No sense of me telling you what he says. Oh, hi, uh, guys. This is uh, John M., a longtime listener up from Canada. Uh, just wanted to give you guys an update regarding the recent Comic-Con and the Doctor Who involvement. Uh, I, this is the first time we ever managed to make it down there. My wife and I headed down with our four-month-old child and actually had her parents come down as kind of the, the uh, free babysitting service. And uh, it was a really neat time. We uh, managed to get tickets for Friday and Sunday. Friday, we actually even lined up at the BBC booth and managed to buy some uh, Doctor Who shirts and socks. And then uh, Sunday was kind of the big Doctor Who day. Uh, I lined up around 8 o'clock that morning, dressed up in my uh, Seventh Doctor costume. And uh, it was uh, quite the experience. Uh, <laughs> the panel wasn't on until 12.30. Huge lineups at uh, the convention center in San Diego at that time, and there were people who had lined up since 8 o'clock the night before. Um, the uh, uh, number of costumes were amazing as well. Uh, there was also a lineup just to to uh, try to get an autograph from the uh, the cast of the Doctor, uh, which was uh, pretty impressive as well. There was uh, I remember watching a, a person dressed up as a Weeping Angel in the uh, classic uh, hands over her eyes pose in that lineup as well. Uh, actually, after uh, only had to wait two and a half hours to manage to get into the uh, panel. Uh, there was definitely lots of room. It was in a huge room called Hall H, which fit about 6,000 or 6,500 people. Huge number of costumes there, uh, just an amazing number. Uh, and finally, at uh, just at uh, 12.30, uh, the, the panel started uh, with Matt Smith, Stephen Merchant, uh, Arthur Darvel, Karen Gillian, and uh, Carolyn, uh, the, uh, oh, I can't. 
suddenly I'm blanking out on the name of the producer. Um, they uh, were very entertaining. Obviously, a lot of love between the uh, between the actors. Uh, uh, Mr. Moffat, just an amazing uh, uh, individual who's obviously a huge Doctor Who fan, who easily answered, you know, the number of times Atlantis had come up in the classic series. Um, great questions were asked from the audience, uh, including some amazing costumes uh, of uh, what appeared to be a fully functional Dalek, although I think tinfoil was uh, involved in some of the body armor. And uh, a really great costume of uh, the TARDIS and Idris as the, uh, as the TARDIS uh, uh, in <laughs> character as well. Um, because the, uh, there was such a lineup for the... Uh, for the um, for the actual session, we didn't get a chance to even come close for autographs. The uh, uh, session also had some really great, uh, really great questions about, you know, what is the actual secret in the Doctor uh, and uh, of the Doctor and Stephen Moffat uh, uh, in his own ways that oh he knows and then uh, and then uh, Matt Smith you know jumps in going and that's what I have to work with because he obviously is out of the loop as well. Um, the uh, uh, panel uh, ended up showing a season uh, re uh, review of the last uh, scene from last season and then showed two new clips coming up. One uh, very cute one of the doctor coming in with Amy and Rory into a small western town. I believe the clip was called A Town Called Mercy. And then uh, the next clip that was amazing called uh, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, which just shows uh, you know, typical Stephen Moffat adventure, the Doctor meeting up with some uh, amazing historical figures uh, and then managing to even meet up with uh, Rory and Amy and then uh, a setup for a premise that I think is going to be really neat. Uh, after that, uh, I ran off actually for a completely unrelated panel, but uh, managed to find out that there was a meetup of all the of all the uh, individuals dressed up as Doctor Who characters, so I managed to get onto that. And I think some of the pictures even ended up on BBC Tumblr. Uh, just an amazing selection. Uh, there were tons of 9th, 10th, and 11th Doctors, uh, lots of roses. Uh, one uh, uh, great uh, person had gone as uh, Donna, who uh, even had the voice down. Uh, another couple classic examples were the uh, clockwork monsters and some cat people as well. I managed to uh, stand in as well in my seventh costume. <laughs> you can see me. Unfortunately, you can only see my hat. I, I picked the wrong place to stand in the group photo. Uh, and some uh, good selection of classic doctors or second and fifth doctors as well. Uh, about four or five fourth doctors and one uh, excellent Sarah Jane Smith costume. Yeah, uh, it was really neat. Um, my wife is a recent convert and had a great time. She dressed up as Amy and really enjoyed herself as well. Uh, just wanted to say again, really enjoy the show and looking forward to new episodes. Uh, uh, keep up the good work. Bye. Thank you, John. We always, uh, now, do we know who that other person on the panel was then? Um, anyone? Well, I have never been to San Diego Comic-Con, but I'm sure it's, it's, I heard it's a lot larger than the New York version. Yeah, it's, it is, the New York version is uh, catching up to it, but it's, it's uh, huge. And it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not even like a, it's hard to even call it a, a convention because it's like so far beyond that now. It's sort of like a, it's like a trade show, really. 
wasn't Carolyn Skinner. No, it wasn't. Uh, it's, uh, I must admit, I've seen the YouTube videos and and the the, the young la the ladies on uh, the far end to the side of uh, uh, Arthur Darville. Um, but I'm blanking out on her name it, it also. Said, there's a report that says Carolyn Skinner. So that's right. Well, that's what I thought. Uh, that's what I guessed. Yeah. The name rings a bell. Yes, she was. And uh, the she, moderator was Chris Hardwick. Yeah. Yeah. We. Panel. I think we spoke about that in a previous episode of, of Dr. Pachak, and I remember mentioning that she was going to be there. Yeah, we in the past we had Tara, um, not Taras, but Tara, Tara Wheeler had been um, our sort of our um, person, our, our man, if you want to call, you know, in this case, woman um, in the field or whatever, uh, in the street, you know, at Comic-Con, giving us some reports and all that. So it's it's. Um, Fan in the field. Fan in the that? field. Fan in the field. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you, John M., for that ex, ex, um, you know detailed report. And um, we always look here, look forward to hearing um, your reports from uh, conventions. Obviously, we, we can't get to them all, so um, it's always good to hear your feedback. And we'll also. Um, Those were two very good. Two very good audio feedbacks. We yeah, there. and Blue Box Bill sent a photo, which we'll have in the Hands podcast of <laughs> looking them looking of the doctor and uh, looking at through a telescope, looking at the Nostra Nevada. So <laughs> it's it's funny. You'll have to see that. So John, if you want to send us your photos of uh, of you dressed up as cosplay um, and your wife and all that, that'd be great. All right, so we have some. Uh, some email feedback. I don't know if, um, if um, Dave, are you up to tackling any of this or if anyone else wants to? I'll get, uh, well, unless our guests would like to have a go at it. Well, send me uh, some text. Yeah, they're not, they, they don't have the rundown, so. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, let's, uh, let me have a go at it and then you can stop me when I mash it up. It's from Ruth Kubinishki. Was that? Kubinishki. There you go. Um, I've just finished episode fifty. Oh she, my poor She, she dear. mentions in her email. Don't worry about. Don't don't have a hard time pronouncing it. Everyone messes it up. So don't feel bad, Dave. <laughs> well, Doctor Ruth. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, episode fifty. Yes, I've got a hell of a way to go to catch up. I know. I've been listening every day for the past few weeks, uh, and I'm loving Podshock. By the way, you guys banter back and forth. It's like hanging out with some cool new friends. <laughs> I like that you played the promo for the then upcoming sci-fi sea cruise for 2006. I've done the cruise four times. 06 was my first. And I've always it's always been great fun. I don't know if you guys have been talking all about the next one coming up in 2013. I thought I'd let you know what's going on. It's leaving from Miami on the 19th of October and returning on the 26th, stopping over in Mexico, Belize, Honduras and Grand Cayman. As of this writing in mid-July, so far Ian McNeese, a.k.a. Winston Churchill, has confirmed that he will be with us and quite a few other invites have been made, although it's far too early for most to make any commitments. 2013 is not only the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, it's the 25th anniversary of Sci-Fi Sea Cruise. Yay! 
yes, it's 15 months again, but for the last few trips, I've had quite a low turnout due to the economy, and the decision was made to put the next one off a year so potential cruisers could save up for it. A balcony cabin for four people is $65 a month per person. It can't be a month. It's Must a long day. Wow. <laughs> Excluding airfare, shore tours, etc. From now, July 2012, to the sale date. The 50th anniversary of Doctor Who is coming up. Let's make the best cruise yet. It's www.scificruise.com. You missed the smiley said. face there, Dave. Ah, did indeed. <laughs> uh, and it's Ruth Kubinishki. Don't worry if you have a hard time pronouncing it. Everyone messes up in M-A-U-S. Oh, P.S. Don't, uh, I don't run the cruise. I'm just really excited about it. Yeah, we, we've interviewed the, the guy that runs it, Dan, Dan Harris, I believe his name is. Um runs the cruise and we've um, interviewed him in the past. And uh, um, so that's if you haven't, because I know she's 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 just up to episode 50 of Dr. Project, So I, she probably may have not gotten to that episode yet, but that's something to look forward to. We <laughs> it's been a, it was a few years ago we interviewed him and he's always welcome to come back on the show and we can talk about the cruise again. I, we were disappointed that, yeah, the they had to um, postpone or, um, you know, cancel the other the, the last year's or this year's. I, I can't keep up with the years, but one of the most recent one, because uh, there just wasn't enough people, you know, um, signed up for it. So and see, Ru and see, Ruth, my audio did get better. Uh, just made, just a real quick question: Are these the same folks? Now I have to go back and re-listen to the episode where you interviewed them, or look at their website. But is it the same folks that do the Star Trek ones? They may I be. I think they may be because they do. I think they do the sci-fi sea cruise, and um, they do a Doctor Who one. They may also do the Star Trek one. I'm not sure. I don't want to mislead you. Right. Okay. So I'll look it up. But thanks anyway. So. Uh, what also Ruth had also emailed us again right after that other email and sent us and it's too the YouTube um, URL is too long to really because there's a bunch of letters and numbers and all that. Um, but we'll put it in the um, in the Hans podcast. He, she writes in saying the family history of David Tennant really interesting. It's in six parts. In six, it's in six parts, and she includes the link part one. The whole thing is about an hour long. So uh, I haven't seen it yet. It's um, a documentary, I guess, about... Well, that, might, that that actually might link back to the Who Do You Think You Are? You know, when we've uh, mentioned the fact that uh, uh, the uh, Alex Kingston's going to yeah. be on the next mm -hmm. uh, Who Do You Think You Are? And in actual fact, Patrick Stewart in the latest series. So I think it's probably this very strange when I first watched it, by the way, because, of course, David Tennant, I'm sure most people will know, uh, he actually speaks when he's speaking as himself with a Scottish accent. <laughs> uh, and it's rather strange when you first hear it because he, he uses a, a more generic English accent uh, when playing the mm -hmm. Doctor. All right. Well, I'm, I'm assuming it's if it's an hour long, it's probably six, you know, six ten-minute parts. You know, they probably chop it up because YouTube has Dave. the time limit. Okay, so um, I, I guess maybe I'll, I'll tackle the next one. Unless Dave, you want to you want to read it? No, no, no. Please go ahead. <laughs> this is from Stephen, and he writes: "I'm feeling sad about the death of Mary Tam, and aren't we all? Uh, 
But the TARDIS groans during the Olympics opening ceremony referencing Fear Her was a nice touch. Regards from another Olympic city, Melbourne, 1956. Longtime Pachak listener, a Doctor Who fan, far, a Doctor Who fan from episode one, Stephen. P.S. Is there any prospect of a Lewis slash Ken slash James show? Question mark. I know life gets in the way and of these things, but I miss hearing the three of you. Well, I've been actually holding off on this um, until this email that uh, I just want to, to announce that this is actually our seventh anniversary. Well, um, in about this date or so, we um, released our first episode seven years ago. Uh, we, I think we recorded it at the end of July and then it went out like that first week of August. So of 2005, and that was with um, Ken and James and myself. We started this. So, um, you know, um, hats off to uh, both Ken and James who are, are not here. Ken, Ken was actually I had hoped that he was going to be in this episode. Uh, at, um, he's at a if you don't know, he's involved with Icon, which is a science fiction convention. Here, that's an annual um, convention that is on here here on Long Island. That's in I think they're just celebrated their 30th anniversary or 30 or 20. I can't keep up. I think. There. This past year was the 31st, if it I It was the 31st. That's what I was I thinking, yeah. yeah. So it's it has a bit of a history, and, you know, I've been going there for years and all that, and Ken's now involved with the actual, um, um, you know, putting it together and all that. So there was a uh, an important meeting tonight, and he couldn't join us for that. So otherwise, um, we would have had, you know, Ken here. He, um, you know, I, his schedule hasn't been conducive to our recordings. Uh, at least I know that from last month, and hopefully he'll be back soon. I know his schedule's um, loosened up a bit. So as I said, I was hoping that he would be here with us tonight. And then James, James has unfortunately left. He's, um, I mean, he, has, I mean, obviously he has. Uh, well, I don't want to say obviously because you may not know, but he's, you know, he has a family now, and but he had decided that he just um, didn't have the time. So he's, you know, he's always welcome to come back. The the, the door is always, you know, um, open for him. So yeah, I, I would add that if you're a a, a friend of uh, James on Facebook, all you have to do is look at his profile picture to see he's got very much more important family matters. And got a lovely exactly. picture there with his young uh, child. So yeah, hopefully um, it'd be great to have to have James and and hopefully Ken will be. Um, you know, back shortly with us, and um, but it's so, so yes, and 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 again, a and I feel kind of weird saying it to from myself, but a happy anniversary to us. Um, now we're entering our eighth year in production. Happy, happy anniversary, Lewis. Well, thank you. Yay, Yay us. <laughs> Uh, now, hang on. <laughs> if Ken and James are left, is this where me and Ian do the speech? Uh, you know, somewhere the tea's getting cold and, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that's we right. go off into the distance. <laughs> so, so does that mean that Ian now does the sexy voice? <laughs> Oh, is that is that is that my spot? I thought I was the I thought I did the Ken Deep stuff. Ian I thought Dave was the sexy voice. No, 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 no. no. I, I know Ian knows that speech off by heart. <laughs> what the world? There are worlds out there where the sky is burning and the seas are sleeping. Rivers dream. Um, what is it? Cities made of smoke. People made of song. Some of this danger. Some of this injustice. Somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We've got work to do. Survival. Well done, bravo. <laughs> <laughs> Any mistakes I can blame on the whiskey. Uh, 
<laughs> well, I guess that's going to uh, round out our feedback, and it's also going to round out our show. It's been another long show, so... Um, I want to thank everyone, uh, both, um, especially, you know, uh, we have our special guests, Anthony and Jessica, with us. Um, the two of the three are the editors of the Mythological Dimensions of Neil Gaiman. Um, and, you know, get your copy. It's on better bookstores and you can uh, you can find it online and we'll have it. In the, we'll have a link to it um, to Amazon in, in the show notes for this episode. So you can get it there. Or if you're a Podshock supporting subscriber, you have a chance of getting winning your copy. But get one anyway, even if you you know, are a supporting subscriber. If you get another copy, you have a gift for someone and, you know, you're still supporting the show and supporting us. So, so, uh, thank you both. And also, yeah, obviously you can catch, um, Ian and Dave on the Cultum Collective every Sunday at, um, at 2 PM Eastern time on, uh, talkshoe.com. You can also find their show on iTunes and other places that you find better podcasts. <laughs> well, I, I, um, if I may just add, add that uh, we did a little interview with uh, all three of the uh, fa fabulous editors of this book uh, on the Cultum Collective. That was our episode that we recorded on the 31st of May 2012. So um, that was the Cultum interviews. I, I love this. TM Dong. <laughs> Who's Dong? <laughs> <laughs> oh my! <laughs> oh my! <laughs> What's on that wine? Yeah. Oh dear. Are you blushing, Dave? Yes, he is. He he really he, yeah. That's exactly the initials of the book. T M D O N G. <laughs> <laughs> I can't oh, think of boy. anywhere. I really, I just can't. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. So, <laughs> Let's close out the show before he says anything all else. All right. So until next time, cheers, everyone. Goodbye, all. Goodbye. Bye. Cheers. Bye. All in the best possible taste. <laughs> Unlimited rice pudding. <laughs> You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifreyNMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchuck Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. So where are we going? Going? I don't know. You have absolutely no sense of responsibility whatsoever. What? You're capricious, arrogant, self-opinionated, irrational, and you don't even know where we're going. Exactly. What? Well, if I knew where I was going, there'd be a chance the Black Guardian would too. Hmm? Oh. Hence this new device. What is it? Uh, well, it's called a uh, randomizer, and it's fitted to the guidance systems and operates under a very complex scientific principle called potluck. Now... No one knows where we're going. Not even the Black Guardian. Not even us.